This morning, I'd like you to turn with me for a New Year's message to Revelation chapter 11, 15. Revelation chapter 11, 15. As you're turning there, you know, in heaven at the end, there's all kinds of judgments and rumblings that happen and there's beautiful things and, and difficult things going on. There's seven bowls of judgment that are turned over one by one, followed by silence, and then seven trumpets that blow, announcing seven different things. But after the sixth trumpet, there is absolute silence. And suddenly, as we move into our text, Revelation 11.15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, or you might say sung, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Have you ever been on a, a championship team? Uh, some of us have not. I have not. <laughs> I've been on lots of teams, but not a championship one. Um, but I do know this, that uh, if you've played team sports and, and if you've won some games, and particularly if you've won a championship, uh, you have been through lots of adversity. Your teams had to struggle through downtimes, reversals, things that that happened, people getting hurt and not lose hope. You've got to believe that you're going to win and, and it's always hard and there are dips and downs and disappointments all along the way. Right? Sounds a lot like life, doesn't it? But I want you to think for a moment, I want you in your mind's eye to, to go to a, a great platform where a national championship trophy is, is being given, and I'm, I am thinking of football now because it is that time of year, and um, the band is playing, the confetti is falling, the balloons, whatever, I mean, it's just this kind of bedlam, beautiful, joyful, expensive, lavish kind of celebration, and, and this is where you know for certain that it's over, and you have won. It's done. And you've won. This is where the, the fighting and the adversity and the struggle cease and, and the celebration begins. And this is where there is a mixture of, of joy and relief and a kind of ecstatic clarity about at least this one season. Who the winner is. Our text takes us to another platform infinitely greater than, than anything that can be contrived in our mind's eye or anything we've seen on television after a sporting event. It is the very throne of heaven. It is a high and lofty platform, a, a great and mighty throne. Our text takes us into much deeper and far more intense emotions about a kind of ceremony of the victor, of the one who has triumphed and the one who reigns. And it's not just for a season. It is forever and ever. It's also loud. We read about the seventh, seventh blast on the trumpet. We read about these myriads of 
angels shouting or, or singing in, in high volume. And the unquestioned recognition of the one who has won it all. And the glory that is not just for now, that will never fade away, but for all eternity and the joy of God's people and the relief of being with God Himself and seeing His radiant face face to face and being loved by Him and accepted by Him and the enjoyment of this victory that never ends. I want you to know on January 1 of 2012, dear flock, that's where we're going. That's where 2012 is leading us. But there's a lot, unless Jesus returns today or sometime this year, there's, there's a lot that we're going to live through and adversity and struggle all along the way until we get to that point. The kingdom of this world is gone, and only it will be at that time the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. But that time is not now, is it? If you have lived and opened your eyes and, and seen relations between people even in the last 24 hours, if you have turned on the television or, or had a news website or, or even spoken to people, you know that this is not that time. And we have a great opportunity to, to live with Christ in a fallen world, to live for Christ in a fallen world in, in 2012. But back to my sports metaphor, it's not that time. And that's why we've got to play the games. I don't mean game playing in the pejorative sense. I mean what needs to happen between now and that day. What needs to happen specifically that the kingdom of God would come on earth greater and greater through Highlands Presbyterian Church and His wider church in this city and throughout the world. The Scriptures teach us that the kingdom of God is already here. It is growing. It cannot be stopped. But it is not fully come yet and not fully realized that there is a day in the future that our text in Revelation 11 describes when the kingdom of God will be completed and the victor will be acknowledged without question as the one who rules visually over all that remains forever and ever. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was when, as he came, his number one topic of his preaching, the Son of God, was none other than the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, the, the life of heaven, the ethics uh, and morality of heaven, the relationship of, uh, with the king is pressing into this world through the overlap of believers, through the overlap of his church. How exciting! to be a connect point, a, a hinge point between heaven and earth and to represent in this world, failing though we are, repenting and faltering though we are, always in need of the Savior who is everything we are not and accomplished everything we need to be able to press forward and to see the kingdom of God come here and now. What is the kingdom of God and what does it look like when it comes, how will we know that the kingdom of God is coming through this church in 2012? Well, there's basically three dimensions 
of the kingdom of God in Scripture. One has to do with the kingdom of God is when wrongs are righted. It is when injustice is dealt with. It is when oppression is dealt with. It is when poverty is dealt with. All these things that we hear Jesus speak about in Luke's Sermon on the Mount and in other places, that when the kingdom of God comes, wrongs will be righted. We have opportunities this year to, to be those who bring actual mercy to the poor. We do that together. We do it separately to acknowledge those who lack justice and to be a part of giving them justice, both personally and, and even people in our society that we don't know, but we know that they are expressing, uh, experiencing injustice, or people throughout the world. And I can think of folks right now under an incredible yoke of injustice. But you know, students, that, that could range as far as even you being in your classes and seeing that unpopular person, you know, that person that, that people don't talk to, the person that, that often gets made fun of by everyone else. No, no, you represent the kingdom of God. And you step into that space between everybody else and that person. You put your arm around them and you say they are worthy by your presence and your love. Theologically, without words, you're saying this person is made in the image of God. This person has dignity. And I represent God Himself and how we should feel about this person. Wonderful opportunities to challenge what is wrong and to see right come in. That's one dimension of the kingdom of God. But of course the dimension that we think of is, is the expansion of the church and the expansion of people who come to know Jesus Christ through the proclamation, the showing and telling of the gospel. That, uh, that's very often what we think of in the kingdom of God. How will, how will the kingdom of God spread this year? How many folks will hear this message, see this message lived out and, and come under the forgiveness of Jesus and, and come into new life with Christ and, and full adoption as sons and daughters of God and, and have their lives radically transformed as we who know Him who are repenting and believing and walking and, and having to re reassess and or reassert rather that very truth in our life, hold out the word of grace, hold out the word of mercy to people who need God's forgiveness and need new life. The kingdom of God comes when the gospel goes forth, when it's being lived out and proclaimed and people are coming to know Christ. But the third dimension isn't about necessarily about the kind of ethical dimension of the kingdom or the, the sense of, you know, Jesus saying the kingdom of God's within you, of knowing Christ as His church. But the third aspect of the kingdom of God is exactly what's happening in Revelation eleven fifteen. It is when God in power brings the totality of the kingdom of God to bear in plain view of everybody. It's what the Old Testament calls the great and terrible day of the Lord. When God in all His power and glory acts and finally rights every wrong, deals with adversaries, and establishes His reign and rule of righteousness with His people, His blood-bought people who don't deserve to be there, and reigns with them forever. 
You see, there will be a moment. We read in Philippians 2, when every knee shall bow, right? Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be that moment when the last trumpet shall sound with brilliance and power and clarity and the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and He shall reign forever and ever. One scholar says, and this is kind of a a common way to look at it, that maybe we should think of it in terms of of someone who's been elected president, but they haven't been inaugurated yet. They are the, elect, the president-elect. They, they do have that stamp of approval. They are the president, but there's just some, there's some time in between that election. It's called a transition, you know? A time between the election and the actual public inauguration. And, and the way maybe to think about our life now in the kingdom of God and, and what will happen in Revelation eleven fifteen, is that Jesus is certainly Lord. Jesus is the King right now. But there will be that time when publicly He is crowned and, and fully in full view of everybody is seen to be that King. And that moment will be the moment when Jesus' prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when that prayer will be fully answered. It's going to be a great moment. And that will be the moment when the Hallelujah Chorus is sung beautifully and loudly. Now, those of you who are music uh, fans, you know why I'm saying that, don't you? Because when Handel wrote the Hallelujah Chorus, and he wanted to look for the moment of the glory of Jesus Christ, he went to Revelation eleven fifteen. And there is this kind of pause, even in the music, is there not? Well, I would would sing this, but I think I'm going to say it. Maybe I'll try try to sing it, all right? This is bad. Okay? But it, it, no, Fort Mose, my elders are like, don't do it. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to obey my elders. All right. I wasn't going to sing it operatically or anything like that. I mean... I don't, want to, I don't want you to go home thinking I miss Joseph the opera singer and nothing like that was about to happen, I assure you. The kingdom of this world, slow, is become. And then suddenly what happens in that music? It just rips. The kingdom of the Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. Amen? Hallelujah. 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 I think there's four of those in the music. You thought, see, I was still singing. You didn't know that. (laughs) You thought I'd laughed into Pentecostalism there for a minute. No, I was singing the the Hallelujah Chorus because that is what it is. It is that great day. When, When do all... Eyes and all the skeptics, all the atheists, all the enemies of the gospel will bow and will confess with their very mouths, He is Lord. To the glory of God the Father and God's people will be singing that beautiful chorus and we will be singing and some of us saying 
the Hallelujah Chorus because the Hallelujah Chorus is none other than Revelation 11.15 and we will be singing it, of course, with a much greater choir than us, with the angelic hosts who have broken out in, in, in adoration. It is that, that moment of unchallengeable clarity. The kingdom of God has come. It is when things are finally the way they are supposed to be. And as one scholar says, the destroyers are destroyed. I know that language bothers people today. I'm sorry. It is the supremacy of the Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. But, until that day, starting January 1, 2012, it is not like that, is it? It is not like that, and that's why, folks, at Highlands Presbyterian Church, we, as a covenant community, we're going to have to play the games. We have to get in the game to be a part of this kingdom endeavor that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm talking about now. Through you and, and through me. And of course we need to daily repent of our own selfishness and our own lack of alignment with the kingdom of God. Do you, do you not struggle? I do. With a lack of alignment. With my life being about Him rather than me. My life being about other people rather than me. And we're going to have to repent of that every day and ask Christ to empower us so, so that we, yes, even us, can live for Him and advance the kingdom. In 413 A.D., St. Augustine wrote a landmark book that people still study today in schools and, and not just Christian schools and universities. The book was entitled The City of God. The barbarians had sacked Rome. The weakness of Rome was, was being explained as, as those Christians, you know, who, who challenged the Roman deities and turned people away from the, the polytheism, you know, like Zeus and Hermes and, and all these gods. And, and Augustine wrote a book to demonstrate, A, that that is not what happened at all, and B, that the world can live, thank you very much, just fine without the city of Rome. He basically went on to say in this book that, that all of us live in one of two cities in our lives. The, the city of man or the city of God. The city of man is explained to be where people pursue their own pleasure and their own power for themselves. That's it. The city of man is pursuing my own pleasure and my own power for myself. It is explained in terms of paganism in Rome. 1 John 2, 16 and 17 reminds us of this and is quoted by Augustine in this book. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and the boasting of what he does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away. 
John says, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The city of man, those who pursue their to live for themselves, their own pleasure and their own power for their own sake. But then that last part is about the city of God where people live in another person's name and not their own. They live for the glory of another person with the love of another person. And, and Augustine talks about mercy being given through believers. He talks about the final judgment in the, the city of God and, and the victory of King Jesus overall. He talks about what it's like to live now before that great and terrible, or we would say wonderful, day of the Lord. So we see Revelation eleven fifteen. You got it? The kings of, the, of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and His Christ, and He will reign forever. That's out there, right? But we're heading into 2012 now. What does the kingdom of God look like now, you see? The question is not just which city do you live in, but how can the city of man begin through you and through me and God's church to look more and more like the city of God? It's a great question. Our lives in the Lord are, are meaningful for lots of reasons. But one of the chief reasons is that Christ is working in us to change us to be more and more those people who live for Him, His truth, His grace, His love, His kingdom, and not for ourselves. And, and Christ is working in us to change us in order that His kingdom right now in real time in Ridgeland and Madison, Mississippi, in the greater Jackson area, that His kingdom might grow and expand. And, and that through the living out of the gospel and, and through the righting of wrongs, etc., more and more people will experience the peace and rest of the forgiveness of Jesus. More people will experience the astonishment of the reality of God Himself in the lives of people, just what they in our culture at least, did not expect to find in Christians. They find. Is this your desire for your life and for our church in 2012? Isn't that a great place to start? We're going here. We've got to play the game still. We're not there yet. In 2012, here's the question. Will we serve King Jesus and live for His glory according to His word, for His will, for the kingdom? Do you know, as we begin this year together, this can be an amazing journey. Deeper into God's heart. Don't you want to know the heart of God Almighty? who so loved us that He actually became one of us and suffered ultimately beyond anything we could ever imagine. That's how much He loved you. That's how, how relentlessly He pursued you to know you, to have you. Don't you want to know that God? 
be a journey into his heart. Can be a journey into what it looks like together and individually to live for the kingdom of God. To live for other people rather than ourselves. Because we realize that this is His kingdom and not ours. This is His grace that He has given us. This is where His grace actually goes. This is where the Holy Spirit actually presses forgiveness to go. Forgiveness is pressed toward forgiving. Our mercy is pressed toward our mercifulness. You see. So be encouraged. Because God Himself is our God. Through Jesus. We are His and and He is ours living within us. And be encouraged because we also know that we will stand one day on a great victory platform and celebrate together and with, with all those who know Him, the victory ultimately, without any dispute, every knee bowing of King Jesus. So I read to you as we embark into this journey together toward this great event. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this reality. Would you align our lives with the reality? Help us to see that in the past, everything is not accidental, but it is purpose from the beginning, a linear flow out of the very heart, mind, and wisdom of God the Father. Thank you that you sent your Son so that we might be swept up into your very family we might be forgiven, that we might be able to rest for the first time in our lives and have peace with you, that you might teach us how to love even in 2012. Oh Lord, would you, would you inspire us to live in light of the victory that is sure, to live in light of that celebration? Would you, by your Spirit, cause us a desire, to have a desire to align our hearts and our lives with your kingdom in 2012. And in that, Lord, would you be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.